Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and plants and pets that are important to you. My mom was in the hospital all last week. Yeah, she's home now and she's doing well, but as I mentioned on last week's episode, it was very hot in New England last weekend, and my mom couldn't keep anything down, food-wise. And at first, she and I had assumed she was suffering from heat stroke. My mother lives alone in a town adjacent to the city I live in, and she hates air conditioning, always has. She has electronic fans all around her place, but she's always refused letting me put in an AC. And she'll only drink room-temperature water. Yeah. Now, I, I love my mother, but she is a very stubborn person. So anyway, she started getting sick Saturday morning, and I, I knew this, and I told her it was going to be hot all weekend, and I asked her again if I could put an air conditioner in her place, and again she said no. And it wasn't until Sunday afternoon when she was still getting sick that she finally agreed to let me put an AC in her window. But even after I'd installed an air conditioner and cooled her place down, she was still getting sick. And I said, I, I think I should, I should take you to the emergency room. And she said no. Again, she's a very stubborn person. And it wasn't until Monday night that she finally relented and let me bring her to the ER. And, and the hospital admitted her and found she was suffering from severely low sodium and white blood cell levels. So they put her on a saline drip and gave her anti-nausea meds, and they did two EKGs to make sure she wasn't having a heart attack, and she wasn't. And they x-rayed her chest and her stomach and found nothing. And day after day, she gradually improved until the doctors let me bring her home on Friday afternoon. It turned out that she was... She had an infection, UTI, and on top of that, she um, heard the meds that she was on had had screwed up her sodium levels, so they had to make an adjustment. Anyways, I, I went over to to see her yesterday and again today, and I'm happy to report she's doing much better. A and she's using the air conditioner I installed. I was very happy to see that. Uh, folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There is no Patreon set up for this podcast, and there are no ads. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my self-published novels. I'm the author of nine stories that are all currently available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon but you do read ebooks, you can find all nine of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, which is spelled M A S C O L A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you prefer paperbacks but you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my titles in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. BN.com if you have no patience. If you've already purchased any or all of my novels, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song.
Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 239 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Thanks for checking it out. I'm in a great mood. Yeah, as I, as I mentioned in the monologue there, my mom is home and she's doing much better. Obviously, that's great. That's great uh, to hear. I'm very, uh, I'm, I, you know, it made for a busy week. As you can imagine, I, I work a full-time job. I have a family. I write books. I'm a busy person. And uh, on top of all this, you know, I I'd had to take care of my mom, and that meant, you know, bringing her the things she needed while she was in the hospital. Fortunately, I, I don't live too far away from the hospital she was in, and visiting her in the mornings before my job started, and then visiting her, you know, in the evenings when I could. And uh, and then, obviously, I had to, you know, kind of, it broke up my day on Friday. I had to leave work to, to be able to take her home and take care of her. And then both days over the weekend, I'm recording this on a Sunday, but I saw her both yesterday and today just to, to help her get settled in and make sure everything was okay. And she's doing great. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel confident that she's going to be, uh, she's going to be just fine. Anyway, uh, the other reason why I'm ecstatic is because I just literally, I just literally ordered the first proof copy, paperback proof copy of my forthcoming novel, my 10th book. It's title is The Peeper and the Playwright. Yeah, so I, what I was able to do was finish up the final edit this, uh, this week and this weekend. And then what you do is if you're a self-published author like I am, you upload your files and then you check it to make sure everything looks okay. And then you order a proof copy because you want to see, at least I do, I want to see how the physical copy looks. And I want to hold it and make sure that everything's in order and that the there's no blank pages and that everything is spaced correctly and I didn't miss anything, etc., etc. Now the cover art is still being done. LJ Rock is the cover artist. He's doing a fantastic job. He sent me three drafts of the cover via email the other day, and uh, they all look spectacular. There's one I liked, and I think he agreed that it was the best of the three. And I, I had a couple um, notes for him on things that I, I'd like to, to have changed. And he said, got it. And he's working on that. So the cover art is in process, but we're in the home stretch of this thing. And I can't wait to push this thing out into the world. And uh, I can't wait for you to read it. I think it's. I think you're really going to love it. I'm very proud of this story. I'm very proud of this book, uh, The Peeper and the Playwright. Believe me, you'll hear about it when it comes out. And I'm hopeful that it will be sometime in August. So, so hang in there for news of that. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about glizzies. Do you know what a glizzy is? I didn't. I can't say, like, until, like, maybe, like, a month, two months ago, I'd, I'd only ever heard the term. I had never heard this term before. If, if for those who don't know, a glizzy is a hot dog. Have you ever heard that? I, I, I heard somebody say it on uh, TikTok, you know, and I was watching TikToks and I was like, they're talking about glizzies and then they're showing hot dogs. What? Is that the same thing? And then sure enough... A glizzy is another name for a hot dog? I was like, since when? I mean, it's not like I'm new to the internet, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'd, I'd never heard this before. And evidently, I guess I guess it's not a thing New Englanders do. I mean, I've grown up in New England my whole life. I, I've never heard the term glizzy used for a hot dog. And I have no idea about the etymology of this. Because, uh, I like, what could that come from? Glizzy and a hot dog? Like, it's, like, I don't, I don't, you know, like, I've heard wieners, right? <laughs> you know, be like Oscar Mayer wieners, you know? But uh, 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 never glizzy, you know? It's just a very, very strange term and, and so odd. And it, 
for for others around me to be so familiar with it. I shouldn't say others around me, like physically. I mean, people that I'm, you know, friendly with via social media to be so, you be using this word glizzy so commonplace as if everybody knows it. And Canadians too. I've heard Canadians online use it recently. And I was like, holy moly, glizzy. Who knew? Maybe you knew. I, I had no idea. Glizzy. Well, what else can I tell you about today? Oh, geez, I had a doctor's appointment this week. Oh, not good. The, you know, coincidentally, I'd had the doctor's appointment the day after I brought my mother to the emergency room. So I was I was there at the ER with my mom, as I mentioned in the monologue, Monday night till about 1 a.m. And then I was up bright and early the next morning to take care of all the stuff I need to take care of. So I hadn't had a lot of sleep, and I, I went to the doctor's that afternoon for... I'm actually, was it that afternoon? No, it was still that morning. It was, yeah, still that morning. Um, and it was basically just a checkup to check on my weight. And uh, the, the goal was the last time I was there, he said, you need to lose weight. I think I probably mentioned it on this podcast. And he said, here's what you need to do. And here's all the things I want you to work on. And here's what I want you to eat. And, you know, and I did all, I implemented all the changes that, that my doctor gave me. Uh, but I still gained five pounds. Yeah, he's like, what is going on? So, so I was like, you know, sometimes, you know, my wife brings home a Danish, you know, two or three Danishes a week. She's like, two or three Danishes a week. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'll have a Danish with my coffee. It's nice. He's like, no more Danish. Take out the Danish. And I was like, okay, all right, it's gone. And I, and I did this week. I had no Danishes. I'm, I'm done with the Danishes. I could understand how that could cripple, you know, a diet. He said, tell me what else you're eating. Tell me what else is going on. I'm like, well, you know, like I, I, I stopped eating bread. He's like, oh, that's good. That's good. You know, you can have low calorie bread. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to half a it. You know what I mean? I don't like that. But I said, he said, so what are you eating? And I said, well, instead of bread, what I'm using. This is why he got so mad. I said, you know, instead of bread, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm eating veggie burgers, but I'm eating them between uh, two hash brown patties. And then I, he said, he said, no. And I said, yeah. I said, sometimes, you know, four hash brown patties a day because I have two veggie burgers. <laughs> and he just like, he's like, you know, he's like, he's beside himself. He said, well, you got to stop that. That's, he said, that's worse than the bread. You can't, <laughs> you can't replace you can't replace bread with like hash brown patties and expect to, to lose weight and be healthy. It's not going to happen. So I'm like, all right, all right. Now, this is, the problem is like hash browns are hard to come by for whatever reason where, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the supply chain. I don't know if this is, if it's like this where you are, but they're hard to come by. So because I use so many of them, I've just been collecting them. Our, their, our fridge is like packed with all these hash browns now. And I'm like... Well, I got this overwhelming abundance of hash browns. I'm like, could I potentially like use all the hash browns and then start the diet? <laughs> there, you know. So, so I just don't know what to do, man. Like, I, I, so I feel like I accomplished at least part, you know, part of what my doctor wants. You know, is to get rid of the Danish. So I got rid of that. No more Danishes. And I told my wife, honey, said, honey, look. I said, please don't bring me home any more Danishes. The doctor was not happy. I gained five pounds. And I know I've talked about this god awful Siggy's Icelandic yogurt. And I said, I said, I hate it. I hate the Siggy's yogurt. He said, you, you don't like the Siggy's? And like, he got so excited. My doctor ran out of the room and went and got his Siggy's like, to show me that he's like eating it. And I'm like, I don't know how you can choke it down. I can't. I can only choke down like the vanilla cinnamon, barely. He's like, well, just get Icelandic yogurt. I said, yeah, I did. That's the Siggy's. I'm doing the Siggy's like you told me. He's like, no, no, it's called Icelandic yogurt. And I said, oh, all right. And I'm thinking like, 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to, like, do... <laughs> I don't know. I've done everything. Like, I've gotten the Fairlife milk. I got the Siggy's yogurts. I, I understand that that I, I'm, I'm goofing it up because, for one thing, like, he told me to, like, you know, he said, when you have your coffee, you can have a protein bar. And I've been replacing the protein bar with the Danish <laughs> two or three days of the week. And that, that was not good, obviously. And then, of course, like I said, I, I'm substituting the bread with the hash browns, and that, that was not good either. So I've, I've got to work on that. I've got to make some changes. But I, I feel like, you know, I, I know if I, like, implement all these changes, like, right away, it's going to be, like, a shock to my system, and I'm going to be a bear. Meaning, like, I'm not going to be a pleasant person to be around, you know. And I don't I don't want that. So I'm I'm trying to trying to ease off things. Whew, oh, boy. Hey, did you guys hear this uh, John Lennon auto-tune? This is wild. And I don't know if this is sacrilege. I mean, it's potentially, you know, you know, you could call it what you want. But uh, I guess, you know, Sean Lennon, who, who you know, is, is John's son with Yoko. He, um, he was working with Mark Ronson. And I guess he had some original vocals from, uh, shoot, it's the Plastic Ono Band album, I believe. Hang on one second. Let me just pull this up. John, <clears throat> excuse me, Lennon. It's the one that he did the Primal Screaming album. Primal Screaming Album. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Forgive me. Of course, it comes the studio sessions. That's not what I wanted. I think it's a Plastic Ono band. Let me take a look here. Did you folks uh, listen to... Uh, oh, here it is. John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. And it's the, uh, the album by John Lennon. And the song... Uh, that they auto-tune the lyrics to is Hold On. Now, you got to check this out. It's it's kind of beautiful, man. I say kind of. It, it's beautiful. And uh, this is uh, this is Sean Lennon. I found this on TikTok. So you can look it up there if you want to see the visuals. But it's uh, Sean Lennon working with Mark Ronson and auto-tuning John Lennon's isolated vocals from this uh, this beautiful song, Hold On. Check this out. This is I think it's very cool. You might think it's sacrilege. Mark Ronson seemed to think it was sacrilege what, doing what he was doing. Uh, you'll hear it in the... In the um, in the talking. So it's it's Sean Lennon and Mark Ronson in the studio uh, with the isolated vocals, John Lennon's isolated vocals from the song Hold On, and uh, and they're auto-tuning them. Check this out. Hold on, John. John, hold on. It's gonna be alright. I apologize to the annals of music history for what I'm about to do. <laughs> That's that's Mark Ronson speaking. Pretty funny. Uh, I think it's cool. Man. I think it sounds kind of lovely. I never thought I would get to play with Ringo on drums, and I definitely never thought I was going to be doing some jazzy auto tune. <laughs> that's obviously Sean. <laughs> so this is the vocal with the harmony engine on. Hold on, John. John, hold on. It's this is the robot version it's like should we see what it sounds like if we like feed back a bit of the real vocal in and just to hear yeah okay so hold on john john hold on it's gonna be all right that sounds good it's also amazing that it still does really sound right. like your dad because I, I do think you can tell kind of yeah. who it is. When you're by yourself and there's no one else, you just have yourself and you tell yourself just to hold on. 
Isn't that beautiful? I really love it. I think I think it's gorgeous. I uh, I don't know what you think, and I'm sure obviously Lennon purists are going to say it's sacrilege, but uh, I guess Sean Lennon owns the the isolated vocals and the masters, and he uh, decided to bring them to Mark Ronson. And look, I I can't think of a better person to to be uh, twiddling the knobs with this because I think Mark Ronson's a pretty amazing producer. And by the way, Sean Lennon is a, a striking striking man. <laughs> like you never think like one person would look. Uh, more like two different people. Like, honestly, you look at Sean Lennon, and you can see John Lennon, and you can see Yoko. You know what I mean? He's kind of a striking, striking fellow. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff there. I, uh, again, don't know what you think of that. I heard it and thought it was pretty darn cool and wanted to share it with you. Uh, what else can I talk about? Oh, I've been reading this this great, great book. This book by Otessa Moshfe. I, I've, I've read, I think, three three of her books in the past. Maybe I listened to one one of uh, on, on audiobooks, so maybe four altogether. But her new book is called Lapvana, and it's fantastic. I'm going to tell you about it a little bit here. There may be some spoilers, so if you're not, you know, if you're not keen on that, I'm going to give you a chance to skip ahead here. But I'm, I'm about halfway through it, and I'll tell you what's happened so far. So if you feel like you, you're going to read the book and you don't want to hear anything, so I'm not going to spoil anything too much, because I don't know the whole, the whole... Uh, story yet, but I do know the basic setup, and I think that's uh, I I think it's you, you can listen to this without feeling like you're gonna I'm gonna spoil anything for you. Anyway, uh, it's it's imagine like a village. It's sort of like they it, they don't say where it is or when it is. It reminds me of the witch. You remember this movie from this horror movie from a few years back, and it looked like it took place in the 1600s and like early New England and like these thatched roofs like house and uh you know it was you know. So picture that, okay? These people are... I said this to my friend today when I was describing I said, they're aware of Christ. And he said, oh, they're aware of Christ. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's unlike Game of Thrones where I don't think there's a Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, these people, you know, have heard of Jesus. So maybe it's in Europe in the 1600s or, or maybe it's supposed to be New England. I don't know. But the village is called Lapvana, okay? And this father named Jude who is the village, he takes care of the sheep. Uh, he's got a son named Merrick, who is kind of twisted. He's kind of like, I say twisted, I, I don't mean, I, you're going to have to forgive me. <clears throat> his, his, his body is somewhat deformed because uh, he was an attempted abortion, okay? Um, but unsuccessful, obviously. So he came into the world slightly deformed. And, and, and I don't mean no offense when I say twisted, only that his body is somewhat... Um, uh, malformed and, and a bit twisted, okay? And they're very, very poor, okay? So it's just Jude and his son Merrick taking care of these sheep, and everybody in the village is very poor. Uh, and on, on the other side of the other side of the, or the edge of the village is the this, this, I want to say like, I guess he's sort of like the mayor of Labvana, and his name is William, and he's sort of like a, um, like, sort of like a king, you know, and he's He's got extravagant, you know, just obscene wealth, just like ridiculous, like, like, you know, like our last, the last presidential administration type wealth, just absolutely uh, um, grotesque wealth. And of course, he's completely a, a twisted sociopath, right? <laughs> no concept of how poor his people are and uh, treats them horribly, you know. And he's got the son who's, you know, obviously like a rich, rich kid, you know, and sort of like a rich, spoiled brat, kind of like uh, like our last administration's, one of his awful children. <laughs> anyway, uh, so one day, Merrick, who is, again, Jude's son, is out with 
the uh, is out just doing his doing his thing, and he uh, <laughs> and he runs into into William's son, basically the prince, you know, and uh, and he this this kid, this awful kid, wants to kill these beautiful birds, these blue and red birds, because of course he's a rotten kid. So Merrick says, "Oh, I'll show you where you can find those birds, so you can kill them and stuff them." So Merrick takes him way up into a mountain, right? And little does the uh, the prince know, but Merrick is not leading him there because uh, it's it's kind of like Merrick is just decides like this is how he's gonna treat this 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 prince uh, because the prince always treats him so terribly and always talks down to him. So they they go up to this mountain, and at one point Merrick uh, decides he's gonna hit Jude with a rock, and he throws a rock at him, and Jude is stunned and turns and is about to come after Merrick after Merrick throws this rock, and he slips and he falls off the edge of a cliff and he dies, right? The prince dies. So, so Merrick is just beside himself with grief. And of course he's like this God fearing, you know, kid. And he's, uh, he thinks he's going to go to hell and he just doesn't know what to do. So he goes and he tells his father what happened. And then he takes his father up the, the mountain and shows him the body of this kid. And, and so the father takes the prince and puts him over his shoulder and Merrick and Jude and the, the dead body of the prince go to the king of Labvana. You know, this, this again, this obscenely wealthy, uh, a horrible sociopath. And when the, the, the king or the mayor of Labvana, I keep calling him the king, I'm not sure how to refer to him, uh, sees the dead, that his son is dead, he says, okay, here's how we're going to fix this problem. You get to keep my dead son, <laughs> meaning Jude. And he said, and I take your boy. <laughs> so Merrick, this impoverished, twisted, again, twisted, uh, deformed uh, 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 kid, is now living beside the king as, like, the king's, the king's prince. I mean, doesn't it sound like an amazing concept? The book is incredible. It's the best thing. It, again, I'm only halfway through it. It's so far, it's, it's, it's the best thing I, I've read by Atessa Moshe. Her book, Eileen, by the way, is phenomenal if you want to start somewhere else. But this is the first time that she's ever moved out of the present into another another time. And uh, boy, oh boy, this story is just, just again, fantastic writing. Believe me, knowing what you know, if you've, if you've listened to me talk about this, if you haven't skipped ahead, uh, I haven't spoiled anything. There's so much going on in between. But that's the basic premise of, again, at least up to the halfway point of this book. Anyway, uh, that's about all I've got for you today. I hope you've enjoyed this segment, and I'm going to throw it over to our other segment from our friend Rachel from Des Moines with the Chart Chat. Take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week. Uh, courtesy of Tavy, I learned that Kim Mitchell had been in a Kids in the Hall sketch. It was kind of a meta piece where Bruce is lamenting all the things they didn't get to do in their original run of their show, which included having Kim Mitchell appear in a scene where he taught guitar tuning to seniors. I also got some nice messages from John, a.k.a. Graham Friday, who let me know that Brian Eno, Old Sourpuss, as he's known on You Talk and You Too to Me, also has a song called St. Elmo's Fire, uh, featuring a guitar solo from Robert Fripp, and plot twist, Eno's song by that name came out in 1975 on his Another Green World LP, a full decade before the film and John Parr's song of the same name. And that actually leads us into our 70s chart this week. Uh, it's from July 22nd of 1972. 
As I listened to this Hot 100 that I had built out, I seemed to notice a lot of songs that either shared a title or were very close to a title, uh, just like a variance in an A, an, or the, of another song, uh, but that's not a cover. So, for example, uh, right at number 100 is a song by Albert Hammond called Down by the River. And when I had put together the playlist, I assumed it was a cover of the Neil Young tune, but it was a totally different song. It has a very blunt anti-pollution pro-environment message, um, not unlike uh, C.W. McCall's There Won't Be No Country Music, There Won't Be No Rock and Roll. It's this type of song that's warning the listener of all we stand to lose to pollution caused by corporate greed. And if you go through this chart, there's 10 songs with the same title and four that are very similar, mostly to songs that would come later, but a few before, like that uh, Down by the River example. Getting into the picks, um, at number 90, we have David Bowie with Starman, and that's off of the uh, rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars album. And here in the States, I would only get up to number 65. So I think now it's pretty well known, but maybe at the time it just didn't make quite enough of a splash and call me crazy but I think I might actually prefer uh, the version by Dewey Cox uh, John C. Riley character on the movie Walk Hard it's just it's a little bit funkier I don't know what to tell you but they're both great obviously I'm just joking around there's also a movie called Starman that's recently been featured on Mary vs. Movies the podcast and I don't know I don't think the song was in the movie I don't know if I should go back and make sure if they mentioned that but uh, it starred Jeff Bridges as an alien who came to earth at number 87 is Alabama Wild Man by Jerry Reed. And this eventually make it to number 62. And this is a, st- a story song like we like to talk about from the 70s. And it's telling about the guy that was the black sheep of the family playing rock and roll. And the family kind of scorned him. But boy, when he came successful, daddy came around. He was in the front row of the show. And this had been on uh, his album in 68. And he cut a different version in 72. At number 81 uh, is Everybody Plays the Fool by The Main Ingredient. And I think people probably know this one, but it's a sweet song. It's always a good time to hear it. And uh, Cuba Gooding Sr. had just joined the main ingredient right before this song came out. And I remember my mom, uh, when we watched Jerry Maguire as a family, there's a scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. is singing. And so she had to tell me that his father had been in this, in the, the group. So that's, you see where I get it from. Their song would make it to number three on the pop charts. At number 66 is the instrumental Popcorn by Hot Butter. Uh, which is a name for a group that uh, Stan Free had put together. And the song was originally written by Gershon Kingsley in 1969 and was on an album called Music to Moog By. And Stan Free was kind of part of his outfit. And so then he put together this hot butter to have the song called Popcorn. And this made it to number nine. And this is one that I remember from being a kid that they played it at our preschool. And I think it was just to get us to dance around and burn off of some energy. In the early 2000s, I can remember visiting a website called popcornsong.com that was hosting all these mp3 files of all these different versions and remixes and covers that people had done of popcorn and downloading all of them and just going crazy listening to like 40, 50 different versions of popcorn in a row. I'll have to see if it's still out there in the internet archive. And of course, I would be remiss to not mention the shout out they get in the, the Beastie Boys song Shadrack. We love the hot butter, say what, the popcorn. At number 47 is the song Small Beginnings by the group Flash. And this was a group founded by Peter Banks, who had been a founding member of Yes. And Tony Kay of Yes also played on this record only. Um, The album cover is gross, but the song is really good. Very proggy, very of the time. 
At number 44, we have Miss Barbara Streisand with the live medley, Sweet Inspiration, Where You Lead. And this was taken from her album, uh, Live Concert at the Forum. Uh, but if you go back to the original studio recording of Where You Lead, I found out that our gals in Fanny were the backing band for Barbara playing that song. And they actually sang backup vocals as well as being the band. So I, I will put both versions on the playlist for you. But I really like this one just because it's kind of got a little bit of a gospel, rock and roll feel. And it feels like some of the stuff that she did on, not necessarily they even made it on the soundtrack of A Star is Born, but that her character is saying in her version of Star is Born. At number 43 is Rolling Stones with Happy. And this song is notable for featuring Keith Richards on lead vocal. I read that it's the only one of their song, their singles, that made it on the Hot 100 with Keith Richards on lead vocal. And for my money, I prefer of, you know, with him singing lead, I prefer You Got the Silver. But this one's cool too. And the sound is just that classic uh, Rolling Stones sound. Check it out. And finally from 72 at number 18 is The Hollies with Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. And this made it all the way to number two. And again, this one people might know. It's kind of a nostalgia pick for me. I remember it from being a kid hearing it on KIOA. So, of course, I probably thought it was a 60s tune, but no, here it is in 72. Turning to the 80s, we're going to July 23rd of 1988. And starting us off is Peter Cetera at number 72 with his song One Good Woman. And I picked this just not necessarily, I think it's the most amazing song, but it's the kind of thing that on the serious 80s on 8 channel, they'll play like something out of the treasure, the 80s treasure chest, they call it. And I could see this one being one of those. Just something you hadn't heard in a while. Like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good song. Um, this made it to number four. And uh, this is a rare, I guess, non-duet successful song for Peter Cetera. At number 71, on its way down from a peak of number eight, is Prince with Alphabet Street. And this is off of his album, Love Sexy. And I don't really remember this one from being on the radio at that time, but it made it to number eight. So it was obviously a successful song for Prince. Um, just kind of a different sound that at least from what I'm used to from him, although obviously he had many different styles of music that he worked in. Check it out. At number 48, down from peak of number one is George Michael with One More Try. And I feel like I might have this reputation of not liking slow songs, but the right one can be very beautiful and very moving. And I think this is one of those. I also have a soft spot for it because it was in the movie Hot Rod. Uh, Yorma Tacone as Kevin sings it to some stuffed animals. And my friend John Butter pointed out today that uh, coming up on the 3rd is the 15th anniversary of the movie Hot Rod. And I did a little bit of math. So that was 19 years between the song coming out and it being in the movie. And then 15 years since the movie came out and to now. So some people like to tell you those things just to annoy you of, well, this is this many years ago. But since it's longer to be from the first, I think we're okay. At number 48 is our soundtrack king, Kenny Loggins, with Nobody's Fool, theme from Caddyshack 2. And this made it to number 8. And I read that he was a little bit hesitant about being on the Caddyshack 2 soundtrack, but I think I really like this song. And I enjoy, apart from the thing about Back to the Shack, you really wouldn't necessarily know it was from the movie. And I read that he was the first male solo artist to have three top 10 singles off of three different movies. And this was actually his fourth. And if it weren't for Meet Me Halfway, only made it to number 11. So that could have been five. Uh, number 32 is Robert Palmer with Simply Irresistible. And I feel like, again, people know this one. Maybe not. Maybe it gets overshadowed by Addicted to Love. I don't know. But this made it to number two. And I read that all three of those videos that he did with the models was either number one or two. 
And number 16 is Paradise by Charday. And this was that would be the peak of this one, 16. And on Wikipedia, I read that Charday is officially the band that she was the lead singer of, which I truly had no idea. That very much surprised me. Um, I think this song is really beautiful. It's up-tempo, but still very chill. And I like it a lot. At number 10 is Jane Weedlin with her song Rush Hour. And that would make it one more point to number 9. And you know Jane Weedlin from being in the Go-Go's originally. And she also had some uh, solo albums. And of course she appeared as Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And finally this week from 1988, is, number 7 is Make Me Lose Control by Eric Carmen. And that would make it to number 3. And this was a single put out just to kind of capitalize on the heat he had from being on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. But this one, really nostalgic for me, just makes me think of being a kid and hearing this one come on the radio and sing along with my friends. So pure nostalgia pick, I admit it, but uh, maybe you'll enjoy it too. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Both charts were exemplary 1972 holy moly you got bowie starman on there i you know you got popcorn i i had no idea popcorn was by gershwin kingsley it was it's always been one of those songs that i've heard and i've just thought oh this is an anomaly amongst uh, 70s uh, 70s hits quote unquote hits <laughs> and I've, I've always loved the song. I had no idea about the history of it. I had to do some researching after it showed up on, on the charts this week. Uh, I'd also never known Eno to be referred to as Old Sourpuss. I've got to check out You Talking You Too to me. Uh, I, I'm, I've got to know about the history of that. I'm a big Eno file. I love uh, all Eno's solo stuff, so I'd be curious to know why he was referred to as Old Sourpuss. And uh, in that 1988 chart, holy moly, Hot Rod is 15 years old? My goodness, it seems like just yesterday. Very, very cool, Rachel. Great, great job. Thank you so much for contributing that segment. Uh, this has been episode 239 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.